Uh, welcome to local church. My name is not Brian, and I'm not the pastor. Uh, that's usually how he introduces himself. Um, my name is Chad, and I'm just a guest uh, today. I'm actually a member here, and I usually hold the door out here, so um, you'll look familiar. That's why. Um, and it's my pleasure just to be here, just to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, Brian is obviously, he's out this Sunday. He's on vacation and just taking some time. And so uh, just as he drives back, I, I think today, just pray for his safety, and uh, we're, we're going to just plug away. We're actually going to start a new series this morning uh, in the book of Acts. And we're going to be going through the book of Acts. We're going to look at the book of Acts and just kind of see what's going on in the book of Acts and how it relates to local church. Uh, as you know, there's some exciting, exciting things that's happening in the life of local church. Um, it, if you haven't been around at all, um, let me just say that there is just an amazing uh, spirit of what God is doing, um, what he is about to do as we build and as we do some things um, over here and behind me. Um, just what he's doing among us is just amazing. And so we're excited about that. But how does that relate to us as a local church? How does Acts relate um, Brian is going to, he's going to be jumping around um, in the book. And so we're going to be looking at different passages all throughout the book, book of Acts. But what I would like to do um, before we jump in is just kind of give us a picture of really where we are in the book of Acts. Kind of where does it start? What did it start off of? Because what we see in the book of Acts is the church kind of, it, it germinates and, and it, it birthed from the book of Acts and it moves forward with power. Just something that God does in, in, the, in this time frame, the, the church then just blossoms and grows. And then we find ourselves even 2,000 years later, just kind of in that same power today. So in the book of Acts, let's just kind of look at the context. Jesus had completed his earthly ministry. So we know this, that he had completed this earthly ministry. He had just executed, buried, he was resurrected. All right, so Jesus had gone through the torture. He appeared to the disciples at different times. There was 40 days after the resurrection prior to his ascension. In those 40 days, he would appear at different times to the disciples. And he would just prove to them, hey, listen, I really did. I rose from the dead. You can see these scars, Thomas. Look here. And then all of a sudden, he's teaching them about the, the, the kingdom of God. And he's walking them through some principles and things, getting them ready for what was to come. And what was to come after, he, after his resurrection was something significant in the life of the church. And so here it is, 40 days later, he gets these group of disciples and some others together, and he gives them this task, this what we call the Great Commission, to go make disciples everywhere and to baptize them, teaching them things. And so as Jesus gives them this, he ascends into heaven. So Jesus now is in heaven, and all of a sudden, nine days, ten days after that time frame, Jews are gathered in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. They're gathered for one of their feasts. They're celebrating, worshiping God. These new disciples, these followers of Jesus are also gathered. And at this time, we see in Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit arrives. Jesus had been talking about this, been talking about and telling the disciples, hey, there's going to be one that's coming after me. He's going to give you great power. And so the Holy Spirit descends. God looks at, looked at the earth and said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to take him back up, but I'm going to deliver something to you, someone to you that is powerful. And so the Holy Spirit descended and came upon these believers. And all of a sudden, something happened in the life of these believers. Holy Spirit comes and gives them great faith, gives them great power. 
And at this point in time, Jews and Gentiles both believed. After hearing a great message, they said 3,000 believed, and they were scattered all throughout. And these Jews and these Gentiles who believed went back to their homes, and all of a sudden, the church was born. And all of these believers who gathered in their little cities and their little communities were hearing and gathering up and talking about this newfound faith, this new belief in Jesus who had been resurrected from the dead, and all of a sudden, new believers started adding to their numbers. The book of Acts says it added to their numbers daily. And so when we look at this, we see that this church was born. And as we think through as this church is born, let me just kind of give us an understanding of church. Now, when we talk about church, when we think about church, a lot of us think about church in different ways, don't we? We, we have this kind of mindset. Okay, really, what is church? I'm not saying any of us in here would, would consider this. Um, but sometimes we think of church as a business. And as a business, well, if you think of the church as a business, then all of a sudden you have to be a consumer. So think about the church as a business. Well, you're a consumer. Well, a consumer, you consume goods and services. So we deliver great messages, great singing, great worship, great programming for kids. We deliver great goods and services to people. Well, if you are an individual and you're just looking to consume, then that's what you do is you, you take and you say, hey, this is good. It meets my needs. Well, at the point that it doesn't meet your needs, guess what you do? You go find it somewhere else. All of us have probably been guilty of that at some point in time. We didn't like that, per that person and how they preached or at that church and what they did. And so we moved and we found one that we liked. And then all of a sudden we didn't like that. And so we bounced around. It's kind of like Walmart or Target, you know, like which one am I going to go for? So all of a sudden when you do that, guess what happens in the life of a church? Well, they become competitors. Churches become competitors. So some people approach church like it's a business and they consume. Some people look at church as a building. And if it's a building, then guess what it is? It's a club. If it's just a building, it's a great space, and it's a space that we need to meet in. It's, it becomes just this place that we gather. If it's then a club, well, we're part of that club. We're insiders. We're members of that club, and we have to have a building to meet in. It's, it's you know, I mean, think of it. It's, it's like, you know, Kiwanis or, you know, whatever else, clubs that could be out there that people come to and they meet in. They have to have a space. Well, if we look at it and we just think that it's a space, then we have to look at it and say at some point, well, we're going to grow. Well, if we grow, then guess what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to build. But if we cease to exist, guess what we have to do? We have to sell. So if the church is just a building, then it's just this space and this place that we have to meet in. So those are kind of two concepts of the church. But we look at scripture and the church is drastically different, isn't it? The church is a body. That's what scripture talks about. The church is a body. So if it's a body though, then guess what it is? It's a community. And I'm not talking about your HOA. Can I get an amen? There we go. It's not an HOA. It is a community and it's not just some community that we just kind of gather in and we feel good in and we're part of and we like each other, but it is a mission focused community that is committed to one another and the forward movement of the mission that Jesus left us with. All right, let me say that again. We're not just a community. We are a mission-focused community that is committed to one another and the forward movement of the mission that Jesus left us with. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. 
all throughout the book of Acts. You see the Acts of the Apostles and what God is doing and all the things that is happening and all the persecution and all the church and the movement of the church. It's moving forward. And guess what they do? They do it together. So that's what the early church looked like. It was this mission-focused community moving forward in power. It was popping up all over the Middle Eastern world. I mean, new churches, these new believers that were going out, this new belief. All of a sudden, Jesus, he's rose from the dead. We can believe this. We can trust this. This is our connection to God. And now we find ourselves in the book of Acts. So if you have the Bible, have your Bible, go ahead and open them up. Acts chapter 17. And Luke, the writer of Acts, who is a very early follower of Jesus, is writing this account of Paul. Now, just as a reminder, Paul... He changed his name. He was Saul. He was born a Jew. He was in the Roman Empire. He had dual citizenship. So he had his Jewish custom and history, but he also had his Roman citizenship. He was a leader in the synagogue. So he led in the synagogue. He was also a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling council. They were the, they were the chief. They, they, they ruled in all civil and, and uh, criminal matters. They, they made sure that the Jews, you know, kind of held together um, because they were under Roman rule. So they, he was part of the Sanhedrin. He condoned, in, cha- in Acts chapter 7, he condoned the stoning of Stephen. And he himself was determined to extinguish this new movement of believers called the way. So his whole deal was, man, I'm going to make sure that this thing doesn't get out of hand. A Jew, member of the Sanhedrin, this new way saying this Jesus, this new Messiah, he's, you know, the, the leader of the Jews, the king of the Jews, he is, he's now dead. And so what is going on? And so Paul is looking at it and saying, we can't have this. So he's killing Christians. He's persecuting Christians. He's making sure that this thing is distinguished. And as he was doing this, he was headed up to Damascus, from Jerusalem to Damascus, about a 150-mile trek. And so as he's walking, he had this encounter. Jesus appeared to Paul, and all of a sudden, Paul changed on a dime. Now think about that. Here is Paul. He is, I mean, he's a Jew of Jews. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. You can't get any higher. And all of a sudden, he's walking along this dirt road, going to persecute Christians, and this light appears to him and calls him out, and he changes everything. He denounces this. He embraces that Jesus is Messiah, and he begins to proclaim this. This is what Paul is doing. Think about that. That is, that is just random. Some of you can relate to that. Some of you have lived lives in such a way that, man, you were living one way, and all of a sudden you changed everything about your life and embraced Jesus, and everything changed for you. That's what it was for Paul. And Paul, as he, was, as he had became this, he, he said, hey, I'm, instead of an adversary, I'm going to become this advocate. And so the adversary became an advocate. And what we find in in chapter 17, Paul is being run out of two different cities. He's being ushered out of Thessalonica and Berea, and he moves into Athens. At this point, Athens had kind of lost its luster. In the 5th century BC, it was just this thriving city. We know Plato and Socrates, for those of you that get that. Um, We know all, so from there, you, you had this thriving city. And it lacked its luster, but it was still this hub of art and philosophy and architecture and education and literature. So it was still this great city. So Paul took this message to Athens, a very antagonistic city. 
embracing all types of religions and all types of gods, but it was antagonistic toward this. And so here's Paul taking this message to this city. Now, I think we can compare. We look at our world today, and we live in a very antagonistic world. We don't live in a world that's like, hey, I love Christians. I love the church. Let's just embrace this message. And Paul did it. Let's look at how he did it, and how does it affect us? What can we learn ourselves from this? So Acts chapter 17, and we're going to start in verse 16, all right? So Acts 17, verse 16, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, meaning Paul, um, he was meeting uh, Barnabas and Silas, and so, or Timothy and Silas, he was waiting for them in Athens. He was deeply troubled by all the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. It says, Paul was troubled. Now, this word troubled, it was provoked. It, it, it rose up within him this, this angst or anger, this disappointment. This heart that was like, oh, goodness, what is going on? Now, Paul knew. He was educated man. He was very educated. Now, Paul knew of Athens. He knew, I mean, 5th century up to where Paul is today, hundreds of years. And so Paul knew of what was happening in Athens. He knew what was going on. So he wasn't ignorant of this. But he gets there and he sees this and he's deeply troubled by all of these idols. He knew that this, these idols held empty promises. He knew that these idols were, were things that just distracted and, and, and weren't in line with what he now believed. And so as Paul saw this, it troubled him. It moved him. Remember, he had changed. He knew that the right way was, and the right relationship with God was through Jesus. And he knew that these idols did not own up to this promise that he cared, that he had. But he also cared for these people. In fact, that's why he was going on these missionary journeys. This was his second missionary journey. And so he was going all around. And so he's visiting all these people, telling people all about this hope that he had and inviting them into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ now. And so as Paul is talking to them, he cared about them. He wanted to see something for them. And so as Paul began to, as he was troubled and he saw these um, idols everywhere in the city. He went into the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. It says he went into the synagogue. That was customary. If you go back up into verse 2, you can see that's what he did. So Paul went into the synagogues. Remember, here's Paul, Jew, going into the synagogues, Jewish worship, Jewish custom, and he's going in and he's talking about the Messiah. And so Paul coming into a synagogue and talking to religious people about this new Messiah who had arrived and, and broken all tradition and fulfilled this new covenant in right relationship with God through this now man, Jesus, who rose from the dead. And so Paul is talking to them, this religious people. So he's telling these religious people. Now we live in a world, and especially in the Bible Belt, we got a lot of religious people, don't we? And you know how it is when you talk to religious people. You know, maybe you are one of them. I don't know. But we, when we talk to religious people, like, they've got it all figured out. They've been there. They've done that. They've got T-shirts from camps and everything else. They, they know all about God. But Paul was coming in and saying, man, there is way more to God than what you've known. Let me tell you about the Messiah. Now, when we talk to people about our relationship with Jesus, doesn't it sometimes feel awkward? Like, they just don't get it. They don't know the hope that I have. They don't know the freedom that I've found. You're just, you're, you're bound up by what you think you know and what you've been around historically or maybe through your family and, and what you've identified with all throughout these years. But man, you don't know really Jesus. 
And that's what Paul was going into the synagogues and saying. And it says he also went into the public square. This was in the marketplace, the Agora, in the city of Athens, this big old hub of activity and people selling goods. Remember Paul, he was a, a tent maker, and so he was making tents. And I can just see Paul on the side, and he's just chatting it up with people, man, as he's making his tent, and he's, he's creating this, and he's, he's, he's talking with different people. And that's like for us, it's going to school, it's going to work, it's on the golf course, it's in our neighborhoods, it's us talking with, you know, friends around tables. It's just having that community of where we can talk with people about Jesus. And that was what Paul was doing. He was talking to these non-religious people. They weren't in the synagogue. They weren't worshiping, or maybe they were worshiping all of these gods, this forest of gods that it was talking about. And so as he's there, and all who happened to be there, he also, in verse 18, had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what is this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas that he's picked up? And others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Now, in this day, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophy, these schools of thought and philosophy, back when, you know, in the 5th century when they were kind of originated, they had emerged. And so as, as they were emerging in these schools of thought, as, as his, Paul was talking with them, he knew where they were. He knew what they believed. He knew what to talk to them about. And so Paul is having this debate with them. And the Epicurean and Stoics, they thought they prided themselves of having the, found these perfect paths to life and enlightenment. And so they, if they lived this certain way, if they lived a certain, certain virtue and code, then they would find life. And Paul was just like, hey, I've got something better for you. His name is Jesus. I'm going to tell you what happened to me. I can just imagine those conversations that Paul was having in this debate that he was having with these philosophers. And he's talking about Jesus. Let me tell you, and just imagine, I mean, think of Paul. He's talking about these guys. He's saying, let me tell you about this Jewish guy. So this Jew who lived like 30 years, and he was just kind of building stuff, and then all of a sudden, he kind of did this ministry, but he did these miracles, and people followed him. It was crazy. He, he got people to follow him that nobody would you, would, you wouldn't just think they would leave what they did to follow him, but they did, and then all of a sudden, he was executed because he claimed to be something that everybody else said he wasn't, and then guess what else? He was buried. He was, he was buried like, you know, everybody gets buried after death and he was buried, but not that, but he resurrected. And so as Paul is telling these, they're going, what are you babbling about? This was so foreign. Remember, they're in this city where they're worshiping all these idols and these statues and these, these, you know, things that, man, you can put your hands on. And he's talking about this human person who came and rose from the dead. He claimed to be the son of God, this Jewish guy, albeit the Jewish, Jewish God, but he was rose from the dead. And I'm sure that question of what human can be raised from the dead. Look at it next. As he was saying this, then they took him to this high council of the city. And what's interesting about this, as the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers are in the marketplace, you know, and they're saying, this is crazy. We got to take this on up the street. And so they carried him up to the Areopagus. And so in Athens, Athens, the Acropolis, this city on the hill, the Areopagus was separate. It was this city, or this part of the city, that was a high point of the city, but it was a temple or a, a place for Ares. Ares, the god of war. And juxtaposed, they would call it Mars Hill. And so here's Paul 
in this Areopagus, and the Areopagus was where um, it was the Greek ruling council. Is where civil matters, criminal matters, um, all those things were taken care of, kind of the Supreme Court for Greece at this time. And so they were there, and all of a sudden, it was also a place of, of where all of the discussion and things that were talked about, the different philosophies and different things to be heard, they would bring people there. So as he's ta talking to them in the marketplace, they said, let's go to the Areopagus. So he goes up to the Areopagus, and they begin teaching, or he begins talking to them. And he says, they took him to the city council, come and tell us about this new teaching. They said, you are saying some strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. And it, verse 21, there's it clarity. It should be explained that with all the Athenians, as well as all the foreigners in Athens, they seem to spend all of their time discussing the latest ideas, which just cracks me up. I'm like, that's what, they just sat around just talking. A bunch of, you know, he's, they're calling him a babbler, and that's what they're known for in, in history. So he goes, and he stood there, and he shared. Now, this could have been hours in length, actually. I mean, Paul, what we see here in the next part of this, this chapter is we see kind of this snapshot, but it could have been a long, long discourse of Paul sharing. That's what they would do. They would go and share these new philosophies. And so Paul is standing in front of them, and he, he says this, which is just, just wonderful. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows, as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious. Now, Paul, again, he knew this. He knew that they were very religious. He knew of Athens. He knew of their gods. He knew that they were very religious. So he points it out. In fact, as he says, as I noticed that you're very religious in every way, for I was walking along and I saw many of your shrines. So he's walking and he's passing these statues and idols and shrines, and he's looking at these. In fact, it was a forest of shrines and idols. A geographer back in the, 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 just right after Paul, his name's Paulsius, he said it was an excesses of the cults of the gods. He said there were so many of these in Athens, all around in the suburbs of the city around the area, because I mean, all around, you would see all of these gods. And so Paul, he's just making this connection, he had pay, he, but he paid attention to one. Look at it. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it to an unknown God. And then he says, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. And he's saying, listen, all of these gods, all of these little shrines that you have, I paid attention. And he related to them. He got on their level, which is just awesome of Paul because how Paul is sharing this new message with them, he got on their level. He found something in common with them. They may have not known that he knew, but he knew. He knew they were very religious, and he looked at this shrine and he said, what is unknown to you, this is the God that I'm talking to you about. And so he's telling them about God. And he found this one opportunity to share the message, and here's what he said, and this is just brilliant. It says in verse 24, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and doesn't live in man-made temples, just think about it. I mean, this is beautiful. This, I mean, here he is. He's, he's up there in front of him. He's like, hey, I'm going to tell you something. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. And that just ran everything kind of contradictory in their mind. And then he says, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, Zeus isn't. Your gods aren't. He is the Lord. He doesn't live in man-made temples. You can't bind him in, in, in these little temples that you have. It's not the way it works with this God. And human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. 
and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps fill their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Just soak that in just for a second. If you read that, you just kind of pull that into your mind. I don't know about you, but I look at that and go, that's the God that I want to worship. That's a God that I want to worship. One Bible scholar says that Paul introduces the God of the Bible, who is the creator of the universe, giver and sustainer of life, ruler of the nations, and the one true God who is close enough to reveal himself to those who seek him. Man, as he is communicating this to those in, in Athens at this time, this had to blow their minds. It had to just kind of destroy some of their thought and philosophy into a way they're going, oh, it's that simple. There is this creator God who gives and sustains my life and who wants a relationship with me. Think about that. And Paul goes on, and what Paul does in these next few verses, he switches it up, and he actually draws in some of their own writings and poets from their time to pull in some, some understanding even deeper that they can relate to. And he says this, for in him we live and move and exist. That's not scripture. I mean, that's in scripture, but it wasn't scripture. Paul's pulling it in from a poet. And then he uses another one, and he says, as for some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And going back, and he's talking about this idea of creation and how God created them. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. If God has created you, why would you think that this God needs to be created? We don't create God. God created us. And that's what Paul is communicating to them. And then Paul switches it up, and he begins sharing this good news. And he says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now. And this is a pivotal point right here. This, this right here switches it, because Paul is talking to them, and he's saying, hey, there's creation, and you were created. There's this God that wants to know you. He's in love with you. He can sustain your life. You can have a relationship with him. But he says, that in, in, in time, you've had this ignorance about God, and I just want to tell you, but now, and what is that pivotal point? It is Jesus. Jesus had arrived. Jesus had come on the scene. Jesus had come to earth. The God-man had come to earth. He had ascended. He had given his spirit. And all of a sudden, as Paul is communicating this, he says, but now he, God, commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins, to turn from their ways, to do what Paul did. Like, oh, I was pursuing them, and then I was pursuing this, and then all of a sudden, Jesus changed me. I met him. Now I'm pursuing him. He said he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Paul shared this good news. This was the gospel. This was what Paul wanted to make sure that he communicated to them. And what Paul did is he saw the need in Athens. He saw this. This was an opportunity for him. I'm doing these missionary journeys. I saw this need, but he wanted to relate to them. And so he got on their level. 
He saw that they were religious. He brought in some of their things of what they talked about and he related to them, but he delivered good news. It says in verse 32, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. This wasn't a one-off for Paul. Paul did this over and over and over again. He knew that this good news was worth something. In fact, it was worth everything to him. It was even worth his life. So that's what Paul did as he traveled around. He shared this good news. Believers became followers. They followed Jesus. Those followers became churches. Those churches popped up everywhere. Paul then began to write letters to these churches, these churches that, that then grew and blossomed. And then this happened that Paul continued to proclaim this message until his death by the emperor Nero, who tried to exterminate the church for good. But guess what? It didn't work. The church thrived. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us here at local church Dawsonville, Georgia? If we are a church on a mission and we are a mission-focused community, that makes us missionaries. And I want you to think of that's a weird kind of thing, but we are. We are missionaries. We are carrying a message of hope to this world. Like Paul, we notice the need, we seek to relate, and we deliver good news. That's what we do. We are bridge builders. We are lovers of people. We are truth tellers. We have a message of hope and life. And guess what? We do this together, local church Dawson. We get to do this together. We are a body. This is who we are. We're connected and we are a mission focused community that is committed to one another and the forward movement of the mission that Jesus left us with. That is who we are. That should encourage us. It should exhort us. It should propel us forward. Because of what Jesus potentially has done in your life and the change that he has made, it sets you on a different trajectory. It's puts you in a place of carrying a message of hope and life to a world that may be antagonistic, that doesn't want to hear it, around friends and family that are over it, around a culture and a community that just can't embrace it at all now. We are still here as messengers of hope and life, as missionaries moving forward as the church has done for 2,000 years, moving this message forward. And so as we think about what our next step is, I just want to encourage us, encourage us with this. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in, in God Maybe you're kind of like you looking on the outside and you go, yeah, I mean, I thought I had, but, you know, but maybe I'm just religious. And this message of Jesus and what I've read and looked at today, it's different. And, and maybe you've just not came to a place where you said, I'm changed. Like Paul, I was going in this direction and now I've changed. Maybe you've never done that. Today, you can do that. You, you can embrace Jesus today. 
In, in fact, we have these next step cards and you can take a picture of that and you can just tell us in, the, in, in an app and just share with us that you would like to do that. And we'd love to follow up with you. But maybe you're here today and, and maybe you have been consuming and you haven't been committing. Maybe you're just like, man, I love the preaching and I love what's going on, but you really haven't committed. Let me tell you, there's a lot of next steps of commitment, especially in the coming months. As we begin to build and as we begin to grow, and yes, we're going to build. We are a building. There is a building here, but much more, we're a body. But we're going to do this. We're going to see God do some amazing things. And now is the time to lean in even more so. Maybe it's through giving. Maybe it's through just your commitment to the building. Maybe it's through serving when the building gets up and running. There's going to be tons of volunteer positions and, and things that we need to do. Maybe you've just been consuming and you need to commit more. And for us, that we just, man, of what God wants to do in us, in your community, among your friends, as you take this message of hope and life, may God do something in you and through you that others can't deny. And that others lean in and say, I want to hear more about that. And some of them will believe. Are we ready for what God wants to continue to do here among us at this church as the church moves forward in power. Can I pray for us this morning as we close? Father God, you have seen fit over years to allow your church to move in power, to do the unimaginable, to have in such a way this message of hope and life that others continue to believe and embrace. And so, Father, I pray that this church right here in this community would be one that not only changes this community, but the world. And the world would see impact because of what we do. So, God, I pray for all of us as individuals. Father God, for the individuals that are struggling with their faith. God, the individuals that have shared their faith, that have been discounted, and dismissed. God, I pray for encouragement. God, for those who may not be right related to God through the man, Jesus Christ, today may they take that step, repent of their sin, say yes to the life that Jesus offers them through his spirit and walk in newness of life. So God, encourage us as a church that our faith would grow, that we as a body who are mission-focused, coming together to see that this mission move forward in power. May you bless us in Jesus' name.